Four years ago, I bought the newly released novel, A Gentleman in Moscow. It had come highly recommended, but then my husband read it and explained to me that the entire novel takes place inside of a single hotel where the main character is on house arrest for decades. I decided, well, I can't read that. It will feel too claustrophobic. Besides, it sounds boring. When one is confined inside, what real drama could possibly unfold? Would the four walls of that hotel simply crush one's spirit? It sounded terrible to me. But then a few months ago, I still had the novel sitting there, so I decided to give it a try, and I was astounded at how quickly I was drawn in. The main character, a count, who previously lived a very lavish lifestyle of travel and social and political hobnobbing, now works as the head waiter inside the hotel but actually he finds tremendous joy and purpose living inside the confined space where most of his choices are severely limited. One of my favorite scenes in the novel is when the Count and the two other gentlemen who run the hotel restaurant decide to host a special dinner. They dream for a long time about this dinner. It involves 15 ingredients. Five are readily available, Six are only available seasonally, and four are extremely rare. They plot for three years, working their contacts of guests who visit the hotel to finally acquire the rare spices and the rare liqueur involved in creating this special dinner. One night after the restaurant closes, they tiptoe back into the kitchen and they begin chopping and simmering and stirring until finally they sit down at 1 a.m. to the most lavish feast and they close their eyes and they take a sip of the fish stew of French bouillabaisse and they taste. It is the most magnificent meal they have ever tasted and they are transported to other realms as they dine, passing around more and more bottles of wine, sharing with one another over this amazing meal, intimate stories of their lives that they had never thought to share with one another before. They laugh and they savor and they taste the goodness of this moment until three o'clock in the morning and all three of them depart euphoric, one of them commenting that at that moment, the universe could absolutely not be improved upon. This morning's scripture lesson is also a story about a lavish dinner party. Jesus tells this story while he is seated at the dinner table with other friends. In fact, Jesus tells four dinner party stories while he's seated at this dinner party, and today's story is the fourth one. This story will make more sense if we know that the ancient custom in Jesus' day was to invite the same dinner guest twice. The first invitation would go out early. We might call it today the save the date. But folks would go ahead and RSVP. I'm coming, count me in. And then when the feast was ready, when the lamb on the spit was roasted and tender, and the pomegranates and the olives were placed on the platter, and the grapes had been crushed and fermented, 
and poured into the crafts, then a second invitation went out. And that was just the way it worked. The confirmed guests were notified that it is now time to come to the table and taste the feast. But all of the sudden, folks find a lot of excuses for not attending. One had just bought a ranch in the Flint Hills and needed to check it out. Another had purchased some cows out in Joplin and needed to see them. And another had just bought a house in Prairie Village and was busy setting things up. Now, none of these excuses are lame. No one says, I can't come to the dinner party. I have to wash my hair that day. I need to weed my garden. It's just that, well, the banquet had dropped off their radar. It was no longer a priority. And so another round of invitations are sent out. There's still room at the banquet. And so a third round of invitations go out. And this includes the homeless and the refugees and that single mom, the one who cannot afford to buy diapers in bulk. And eventually, all of them come to the table, and the most amazing feast is enjoyed. Why do you suppose everyone didn't want to come? What could have possibly been more important? You know, it's hard to tell if this is a story about social distancing, you know, folks who didn't have time to go to a party, or if it's a story about God distancing, folks who have other priorities placed ahead of accepting God's invitation. Where might you and I place ourselves in the story? If God is the one who invites us to a lavish feast called life, then where do we imagine placing ourselves? Are we in that group too busy to attend? Or are we one of those guests that was invited in the second or the third round invited to taste God's good life. Either way, many of us imagine that we ourselves are somehow on the periphery of God. Whether we are weekly churchgoers and regular Bible study attenders and frequent community volunteers, do, do we imagine, really, that we are dining at the banquet table of life set before us by God? I've for one, know that sometimes I experience that feeling of resisting God's invitation. At my home, I have a special prayer pillow and a candle that I light for silent meditation. I have a prayer chime to begin and end my time of prayer and a stack of prayer books. But some days, even if all those things are sitting out in plain view, I can find a million excuses for not sitting down with God. Some days I cannot make myself pause and pay attention to the love of God set before me. God comes to us in nature, in a still small voice inside our own hearts, in the faces of people around us, and in sacred words. But sometimes we're too busy to attend God's party. We have other plans. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is one of the most famous Christians of the 20th century. A German Lutheran pastor, Bonhoeffer came to New York City to study theology in the early 1930s, and then he returned to Europe where he served in several different congregations. All the while he was serving, Hitler was on the rise, and he was preaching a gospel that confronted Hitler's message standing up to Hitler's demand that Christians give their allegiance to him. 
In 1939, Bonhoeffer came back to the United States, but he quickly realized what was happening in Nazi Germany, and he decided to return home. He took the last ship across the Atlantic to Germany. But while he had been a student in New York, Bonhoeffer met a Frenchman who taught him about God's desire for peace. Bonhoeffer describes this moment of transformation that took place during that friendship. He said, a change took place and set my life in a new direction. He said, it's a terrible thing to admit because I had already been preaching, but I had not yet become a Christian. In a wild and untamed way, I was still my own master. In all my abandonment, I was nevertheless still quite pleased with myself. He was already a theologian and a pastor, but he still saw himself on the periphery of God, not yet at the banquet table of God. A few years later, Bonhoeffer participated in the plot to take Hitler's life. The day after the plot failed, he knew that his life was in serious danger and he wrote a letter to a friend. And in that letter, he said that to have faith means to stop trying to be a saint or a converted sinner or a great church person. Instead, he said, to have faith is to throw oneself completely into the world. Quote, in so doing, he said, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God. The scripture says that God throws a great party and it is up to us to decide if we will come or not, if we will throw ourselves completely into the arms of God. The Christian life is a banquet that God sets before us. God sets the table. God prepares the lavish feast. God sends us invitation after invitation. More than 10 can come. More than 50 can come. More than 500 can come. Wouldn't all of us love to sit down right now at a dinner table and pass around a platter of hors d'oeuvres with our wider circle of friends and family? Wouldn't we love today to go to a baby shower or a birthday party or a yoga class or just share a cup of coffee with a friend in the church parlor. Today, more than ever, whether we are introverts or extroverts, we long for that taste of sitting together at God's great communal feast to dine both with God and with the entire human family, every one of whom is invited to God's banquet. The syndicated columnist David Brooks wrote an op-ed piece this week, and he talked about this idea of social solidarity, and it's more than social connection. It's something deeper, something rooted in the Christian tradition. He said that he believes that when this is all over, we're going to need a social reset. Quote, we need to start planning a great social festival and ask the obvious questions why did we tolerate so much social division before? Why didn't we cultivate stronger social bonds when we had the chance? I'm wondering if we are sometimes reluctant to go to God's party because we are reluctant to depend on God. 
we're reluctant to depend on one another, we are not yet certain that we belong at the banquet. The story that Jesus tells in the gospel according to Luke ends by saying that some didn't taste the feast. You know, to taste, it's not just to show up. It's to experience the joy of, to be fully present, to savor, to give one's whole self over to the experience. Are we just going through the motions of this Christian life? Or do we taste it? Stephen Shoemaker pastored the Broadway Baptist Church in my hometown of Fort Worth, Texas. He shared in the Christian Century about how while he was pastoring that downtown church that they started what was called an agape feast. They invited everyone in the neighborhood to come. Sometimes 100, maybe even 200 folks would show up once a week for dinner. Many of them were homeless. After the dinner, there was an optional worship service, just a short service there in the dining room. And then anyone who really wanted to could walk over to the chapel and have a brief communion service, and usually maybe 10 or 20 would come to that. And one night, as they were leaving the chapel, one of the gentlemen who was homeless, he said to the pastor, it was a really good night. Thank you. And the pastor said, yeah, it was a great dinner tonight. And he said, no, no, that's not why I come. I come for that. And he pointed to the communion table. And another night, when the pastor was sharing communion, a friend, a homeless friend, who was transgender, came forward to receive the bread and to receive the cup. And as she received these gifts, she said to him, all my life, I've been told that this was the last place in the world that would accept me. But here, I feel the most welcome I have ever felt. At the feast of God, at the table of life, at this banquet called the Christian faith, no one enters except by God's invitation and no one is excluded except by one's own choosing.